today. I know, what I love about saying that in a space like this is a number of people will respond, woo, as if that's an answer to the question. But that's a question we hear quite a bit, right? How are you doing? Maybe how's it hanging? If, if you're close enough, you might just get a, you good? We're all right? And, and we have kind of our, our stock responses to that, right? We often hear, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm good. And you know what I'm hearing a lot lately, can you guess? I'm tired. I'm just tired, right? And I hope that uh, many of us, hopefully most of us, have people in our lives that can push a little bit deeper than those stock answers. Like, what do you mean by that? Tell me more about that. Or tell me how you're really doing. Now, I want to ask you, if someone were to push a little bit deeper, what would you say? How would you respond? Maybe, maybe you would think about your health, Maybe you've had some long-term illness that you've been dealing with. Maybe you've just been sick. Maybe you've just been trying to lose some weight lately, right? And that's what's on your mind. That's how I'm doing, right? Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you just got a raise or your stocks are doing really well or really not well. There's lots of things that can be going on. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe you want to talk about how your spouse is doing, your kids are doing, what your friends are up to. Maybe it's whatever is on your social media channel, be it good or bad. We know that that can our conversations a lot. And it might be a mix of those things, right? There might be a number of things going on. However, I'd be willing to bet that there's one area of your life that tends to not come up when, when we ask that question, how are you doing? There's this core part of our lives that we tend to forget or ignore as a part of our well-being, What's interesting about it is that you could be doing great in all of these other areas. Your finances could be awesome. Your relationships could be doing well. You could be really healthy. And if this part isn't doing well, you're still going to suffer. You're still going to be anxious. There's still going to be uh, some unrest within you. Conversely, you could be suffering. Maybe things aren't going all that well. Maybe you're feeling a bit of pain. But if this part of you is doing well, if this part is healthy, you could have a measure of peace, even in the midst of struggles. There was a lawyer named Horatio Spafford who became quite wealthy and decided to invest in real estate in Chicago in the year 1871. Now, if you're a history buff, you know that was not the best time to invest in real estate, as that was the same year that the Great Fire of Chicago burned most of the city, and Horatio lost all of his investment. And a couple of years later, uh, he and his wife Anna and their three kids were planning a trip to Europe, and business demands required that Horatio stay behind and follow them a few days later. So Anna and the three kids went off on shipbound at the time, of course, to Europe, and tragedy struck. And all three kids were lost. In fact, the telegram from Anna to Horatio simply read, saved alone. And as Horatio was following that, same, uh, following that same route on his ship a few days later, past the place of the tragedy, and wrote these now famous words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. More tragedies would come in the lives of Anna and Horatio, but also so much joy 
and really a life and a legacy that would come to be defined by love and service to others. What we learn from their life is that they weathered storm after storm more than many of us uh, could imagine, but they weathered it with a healthy soul and left a legacy that was not just about their tragedy, but about their service and love to others. And their approach to life really mirrored that of the early church, which also endured a lot of hardship. In fact, we have a letter in our Bibles uh, that shares an identical line with Spafford's song. In 3 John, we have an elder of the early church writing a personal letter to a friend named Gaius. It's a short letter. In fact, it's it's just one chapter in your Bible. It can be confusing with verse references because it's not the numbers we're used to. But it's kind of just a check-in, a how-are-you kind of letter. And it begins with this greeting, 1 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health just as it is with your soul. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, this dear friend is concerned with Gaius's well-being, with his health, and with his soul. This is a question that we don't ask as often as we probably should. So I want to ask you this question. How is your soul? Maybe that's a question you haven't asked yourself. Maybe it's a question you haven't asked yourself in a very long time. Well, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at ALC. And like Jeff said, we're starting a new series today called Heart and Soul. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about kind of that inside part of us, the various ways that God helps us to cultivate a healthy soul so that we can lead a loving Christ-centered approach to life, regardless of the ups and downs we might face. We're going to be addressing that question, how is your soul? And perhaps before we even address that question, we need to talk about what is a soul, right? Maybe that's a question you're already asking in your head, and that's perfectly fine. I'd be doing the same. But even if you haven't been a part of the church for a while, there's probably an account that you're aware of, the creation account in Genesis chapter one. And you might even be familiar with this rhythm or pattern, some might even say poetry that's found in this account uh, of God creating the world, God creating everything in the world. There's this pattern of, of let there be and there was, it was good, right? We see this very first with, with, with light, let there be light and there was light and it was good. And then this is repeated with creatures and plants. And, and what we're seeing is God is speaking things and they happen. Interestingly, that pattern breaks when God creates a human. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now there's particular care here, right? It's not let there be. It's not just speaking into existence. It's let us make. And there's a second account of creation found in Genesis chapter two that's a bit more detailed. And we read in verse seven, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became 
a living being. So this is highly contrasted, right? Instead of speaking humanity into existence, we have God forming humanity from the ground by hand. And then breathing the breath of life into that formed body. And that's what we would refer to the soul. And it's the soul that makes this human become a living being. This is why in both the Hebrew and Greek languages, the word for soul is the same as the word for breath. Because just like breath, your soul is that invisible, immaterial part of you that is full of life. I want you to think about an instance where you might say, everything in me wanted to scream. Right? Everything in me wanted to jump for joy. Everything in me wanted to... Your soul is that everything in you, part of you. Right? It's, it's everything that is immaterial about you, but that has a drive, that has a life, and it also has a source. And what we're finding in both of these accounts is that that source is God, God's self. Who, so who here, let's, let's, let's turn the corner a little bit. Who here would describe yourself as a homebody? A homebody. Oh, we have one, Pastor Aaron. All right. <laughs> describe yourself as a homebody. Now, let me break it down a little bit. Maybe you like going over to friends' houses. You like visiting family. The occasional vacation's okay. But if given the option, you would rather just be home. There we go. Now we have a little bit more, right? So my wife is this way. She loves creating a comfortable, warm home because home is her favorite place to be. Now, I love being out and about. New experiences, new foods, new things. Give me all of that. But regardless of which way you sway, there is something about home, right? If you're away long enough, you're going to feel something. What are you going to feel? Homesick, we even have a word for it, right? We feel homesick, we feel that longing for home because there's something about home. If, if your home is a safe and healthy place, it's a retreat, it's a place to just be. You have your own bed, that's nice. You have your own kitchen with your own pots and pans and all the things that you like to use. You don't have to worry about that hair in the bathtub because it's probably yours and that's fine, <laughs> right? But there's something about home. It's good to be home. But some of you are sitting here and you're feeling something within you. Maybe your soul is feeling a bit anxious, a bit restless, uncomfortable. You're feeling a tension in you. And I want to pose a question to that. Is it possible that your soul is feeling homesick, longing for a place to just be? Longing for a place that it belongs, longing to be directed, we might even say, to a source. Like I said at the beginning, it's entirely possible for everything else to be healthy, to care for our body, to care for our finances, our relationships, every other part without caring for our souls. And if our soul is ignored, if our soul is forgotten, it's not taken care of, it becomes restless, anxious, even fearful. In Psalm 103, the, the psalmist uh, recognized just how important it is for the soul to be directed 
to its source, to be directed towards God, to be connected in that way. In fact, if you read the entire psalm, it actually begins and ends with the exact same line, bless the Lord, O my soul. And in Hebrew poetry, this uh, symbolizes completeness, fullness. So both that line itself and everything in between is, is recognized as completeness. To bless the Lord, oh my soul, there's fullness in that. So keep that in mind as I read just the first few verses of this psalm. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I want to recognize some lines here who forgives all your iniquity. Some of us here are unsettled in our soul because we're feeling guilt and shame. That we don't measure up, we're not good enough, maybe we're out of strikes, we're too messed up. And God offers forgiveness to that. Who heals all our diseases, See, some of us are unsettled in our souls because we're broken in body or in mind or in spirit. And sometimes it just seems like we can't work properly or we can't keep up with the demands of life. And to that, God offers healing. Or really in the fullest sense, God is offering to make what is broken whole again. Some of our souls are unsettled because we're just tired because we, we've been knocked down so many times, we just can't seem to get up. We've been striving maybe so long that we don't even remember what rest feels like. And to that, God offers goodness, redemption, love, mercy, renewal. That's what we're hearing in Psalm 103. And these are the benefits of connecting our souls with God, of reorienting, redirecting our souls towards God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. It's remembering that God's presence is, is already with us and giving that space and time to truly recognize and commune and connect with God. Author Sky Jatani wrote, when we live with God, when we are united with him and experience his goodness and love, fear loses its grip on our souls. With promises of God's boundless love, life with God breaks the endless cycles of fear and striving for control. So what does this actually mean, right? Connect with God, unite with God, experience God's presence. That's really churchy language. And we know it's churchy language because it sounds good, but we're not sure how to do it, right? And so I, I want to I teach this, kind of how Jesus would teach this, and that's with a story. It's a story that's found in the Gospel of Luke. And as we catch up with Jesus and his disciples, we're going to find them in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, he, Jesus, entered a certain village 
where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, this is a famous story and often one that unnecessarily pits a sister against another sister. And maybe if you're sitting in this room, you've been compared to one of these characters before. I, I, I so often hear, I'm such a Martha. <laughs> or stop being such a Martha, right? We get that all the time. But I wanna try to recenter, maybe refocus the story around Jesus. Because this is the gospel of Luke. This is the, the story of Jesus and his time living a human life on earth. So let's refocus on Jesus. So Mary welcomes Jesus into her home. Or Martha, sorry, Martha's the one who does the invitation. Welcomes Jesus into her home. And that comes with some, some baggage with it. So this is a culture of hospitality. It's a culture where if you invite a guest into your home, you're, you're making a bed, you're making all the food. If they have livestock, you're making sure there is space in your outbuildings and food for the livestock. If they're traveling with people, you're putting them all up too. And we know Jesus traveled with an entourage. So there's quite a bit of work to be done, right? And then while Martha is doing all the work that she's supposed to do, Mary does something highly inappropriate. She chooses to sit with the guests while her sister is doing the serving. And in fact, she chooses to take the place of a disciple and sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. And Martha tells Jesus to correct Mary, right? Her behavior is entirely inappropriate. Can you have her help me, please? And instead of adding a burden to Mary, instead of Jesus telling Mary to get up and do what she was supposed to do, Jesus chooses to take a burden off of Martha. Right, instead of reminding Mary of her duties and the work that she's supposed to do, Jesus actually relieves Martha of her work. What he's communicating here is, I don't need all this. I don't need all this. I just want to spend time with you. That's the better thing. That's the better thing. See, some of us are carrying the weight of expectations, of tasks, jobs, responsibilities, all the things we're supposed to do, right? And we might feel overwhelmed. And some of us have been working tirelessly to fix ourselves, right? To make ourselves ready or worthy for Jesus. But maybe we've forgotten the better part, to be with Jesus, to, to be able to just spend time with Jesus, to take that place of a disciple, to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. So I wanna challenge us this week to, to take a small but very significant step. It's not very complicated. Spend time with Jesus. Time to set aside tasks, time to set aside responsibilities, productiveness, that's a big issue for some people, and spend time with Jesus, choosing to rest, 
to abide, to simply be with, to let your soul be at home in Jesus. Author Ruth Haley Barton wrote, one of the most important lessons I've learned is how important it is to have a time and space for being with what's real in my life, to celebrate the joys, grieve the losses, shed my tears, sit with the questions, feel my anger, attend to my loneliness. This being with what is is not the same thing as problem solving or fixing because not everything can be fixed or solved. Rather, it means allowing God to be with me in that place and waiting for him to do what is needed. So I have a twofold challenge for you today. The first is to set a time each day to be with Jesus. Some of you don't even know where to start, and so I want to just offer an idea, which would be to start your day with Jesus. Before anything else gets started, before any excuses get in your way, before your phone rings with more tasks to do, start your day with Jesus. Maybe 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to spend time with God. But more importantly, maybe most importantly, find a quality time. To be with Jesus, because I'm going to be honest, morning is not the best time for me. Maybe the better way to say it is, I'm not my best in the morning. And some of you are that same way. And maybe you're like me, and you have kids that could spring awake with full energy at any moment in the morning. And so that time is unpredictable. So I want to encourage you, find that quality time. What is that quality time during the day? Also, multitasking is not a thing when it comes to time with God. And so I want to challenge you to find 15 minutes when you're not driving or mowing the lawn or doing dishes, right? Find time that is only for spending time with God. Second, set a place to be with God. You know how everyone has their place in your living room or at the dinner table or most of you sit in the exact same chair every Sunday, there, there is something about having your space, right? You wouldn't set an appointment with someone and just set a time. Say, I'll, I'll meet you on Monday at seven. I guess I'll just find you, right? <laughs> and that isn't just so that they know where to find you. It's also so that you know where you're going and what to expect. And the same is true in your time with God. It's one thing to say, I'm going to meet with God at 7 a.m. every day. That's a nice idea. That's a good theory. It's a different thing to say, I'm going to spend time with God at 7 a.m. every day in the blue chair in the den. Now, that's a plan, right? That's something I can stick to, and I'll tell you something about that place. That place is going to start to be imbued with memories of, man, that's where I wept with God. That's where I celebrated with God. That's where God spoke to me. And you know, when, when something resonates with our memories, it also resonates with our expectations. To say, man, I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen today. I wonder what's going to happen in that spot next week. And eventually that becomes a special place. That becomes the place that you meet with God. And so have a time, have a place. But let's say you have a time, you have a place. Now, now what? Do I just sit there? <laughs> Some of you are asking that question. And if you don't know where to start, that's totally fine. 
And we do have a, a recommendation for you. I want to I wanna recommend just a, a simple version reading plan. This can just be found on the, the Bible app or on their website. It's called Intimacy, Steps to Intimacy with God. And it's just a seven-day plan. So the challenge is for a week. This will get you through the week. It's just a few uh, pieces of scripture to focus your time because it's so important to focus your time and not just wander in. Like, I wonder what's gonna happen today, right? It's, it's important to focus that time with God. And after you get through a plan, maybe you choose this plan, maybe it's another plan, have a next plan. So what's the next reading plan? What's the next devotional you're going to pray through? What's the next gospel you're going to read through? What are your, what's your prayer focus going to be? Have a focus to your time with God. But most importantly, set a time and set a place to spend with God. Make it purposeful. Set an appointment with God just like you would set it with anyone else. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you are present with us, that we don't have to go searching for you, that we don't have to uh, wonder when you are going to be present with us. God, you choose to constantly be present with us. So God, would we turn our attention to you? Would we turn our focus to you? God, would we choose to set aside our productiveness? to set aside our responsibilities as important as they are and make a time to be with you. Because we know that it is in your presence, it is with you, it is by you that we will be forgiven. God, that our shame and our guilt can fade away in light of your forgiveness. God, it is with you that what is broken can be made whole again. God, it is with you that we can be renewed, that we can experience goodness and love and mercy. So God, would we experience you this week because we've made time for you. God, that when someone asks that question, how is your soul? And hopefully we are a church that asks that question, that we would have a response because we are tapped in, because we have a pulse on how our soul is doing, how we are connecting with you. So God, would you meet us this week as we choose to engage with you, as we set aside time to be with you? And God, over the next several weeks, would you show us how to cultivate a soul that can reflect your love in the ups and downs of life? In Jesus' name, amen.